Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Father, we thank you for the chance to be able to come into this space and in this moment. We praise you, Lord, for the opportunity to hear from you and to know you more. Now, God, we pray for a blessing over this time, over this unique opportunity we have to worship you in spirit and in truth. Now, God, bless the preaching of your word and bless the hearing of it. In Jesus' name, all God's people said amen. 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 Well, welcome to Bridge Church. Happy Resurrection Day. Amen. Um, my wife gave me a candy, and if she hears me preaching with it, she's going to be mad, so I'm going to eat it right now. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, baby. Um, happy Resurrection Day. Um, we're so excited you're here. If you're here for your first time, my name is James. I'm the pastor here, and uh, we're just so blessed to be able to be worshiping in a club, right? Praise the Lord. It's just a, such a unique opportunity that the Lord has given us. And so Easter is an incredible time to be able to come to church. Uh, If you grew up in church, you probably have some kind of memory of Easter. I used to do an Easter poem, you know, and so I would have to memorize my poem and my dad would uh, terrorize me. I mean, help me into memorizing it. And so that I would have all my stuff together. And so I remember all the suits and, you know, every element of the pastel colors would come out that day. And and then it would be a beautiful day. Uh, Spring decided not to join us for Easter today, but we just uh, normally we would be a little warmer and a little nicer. And so there's all these great memories that we have on Easter. And maybe today you came because you have a great memory of Easter and you have uh, some kind of formative religious background in church and uh, with your family. Maybe you just, you know, you're here today because you do, you know Jesus. But Easter has great meaning, not only because Jesus Christ rose from the dead and we celebrate it, but Easter has great meaning because it harkens back to personal meaning for myself. Yes, I celebrate the resurrection of Jesus But it also is a reminder of my personal transformation I've experienced. That I remember who I used to be. And when someone gets baptized, we show this imagery of being baptized in his death and raised in newness of life. And so every time someone gives their life to Christ, it is actually a small window into the resurrection. I remember who I used to be. And I know who I am today. And somehow... Easter is celebrated across the globe, not simply because people are having just a religious experience, but somehow people keep trying Jesus and transforming. People keep seeing Jesus. And one of the things that I I was so struck by is that when Jesus Christ raised from the dead, there were only 120 followers who were following Jesus. When you look across the globe today, There are 2.3 billion people who follow Jesus across the globe. And when when you think about it, 
a lot of times we think, well, you know, the, the Christians have such a weird background with the crusades and there's people who just went to church because they were supposed to go to church. But I just want you to know, sometimes we think that our faith is just an American thing. When you look at 2.3 billion people, America is just one space, but Brazil, Russia, Mexico, Philippines, Nigeria, Germany, Congo, Ethiopia, China, South Africa, Italy, and Spain. These are all places that are the highest population of believers. And I have a suspicion that something more than religion is happening. I have a suspicion that something more than just people who feel like they just want to come to church are coming to church all across the globe. You see, what I believe is happening to all the people all across the globe is what happened in my life. You see, what keeps happening where thousands of years ago, a man died and rose again from the dead and people still believe in him. You would think it'd get played out after a few years, right? You think, oh man, that story is, oh yeah, we, we heard that already. But somehow people still keep believing in Jesus across the globe. I believe what is happening across the globe is what happened in me and what's happened in you. For some of you, what you want to happen. There is within the heart of all people an innate desire to change. There comes a point in our lives where we try work. We try religion. We try relationships. And all of those things end up being helpful and good. But it does not satisfy the heart. And somewhere, somehow, people start trying Jesus. And when they try Jesus, they end up transforming. All across the globe, Jesus keeps offering this life to people. And they keep trying him. And people are seeing radical transformation in their lives. And today, I offer you to try Jesus. See if he'll transform you and change you. But you have to know this, that Jesus offers you something greater than you can imagine. Jesus offers you something better than a better life. What he offers you is a transformed life. Radical transformation. Death to life. All things are new. And I want to encourage you to know, new is greater than better. New life in Christ. Not just a better life. And Jesus wants us to see what that looks like in the resurrection. And he wants us to see what that looks like in small pictures of resurrection in the life of his people. Paul, the apostle, wants us to understand that in the book of Romans. If you have your Bibles, all two of you, if you have your Bibles, turn there in Romans chapter 12, or you can look on the screen or you can look on your phone. Romans chapter two, Romans chapter 12, rather. In Romans chapter 12, Paul the Apostle says it this way. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So understand when when Paul the apostle says this, he's saying something really amazing when he says, I appeal to you, therefore, the word there appeal is the word parakaleo. It's the same word we use for the Holy Spirit. It means to come alongside. So if you think about what's been happening in 11 chapters throughout the book of Romans, Paul the apostle has been trying to explain who God is, who we are, and how we came into relationship. And so think of it like a teacher teaching on a board, writing there, trying to explain the intricate details of salvation. And then finally the teacher says, do you get what I'm saying? And think of them like coming alongside of you, sitting down in the chair next to you like a tutor and saying, look, in light of all this, and what he is appealing to is the mercy of God. Let me just get, I've been trying to explain this. I want to sit next to you. Do you see the mercy that has been shown to you? The mercies of God, plural, he says. The word mercy there is the same word we use for compassion. The way that God feels deeply for you. The way that God cares for you. Do you see how much God cares for you? And he's trying to appeal to his mercies. In Romans chapter 2, earlier, he was trying to unpack all that God has done. In Romans 2 and 4, what the imagery of mercies, I think is such a powerful verse. He says in Romans 2 and 4, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not knowing that the kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Paul, in trying to unpack the mercies of God, says, are you aware of how rich God has been to you in kindness and forbearance and patience? You know what kindness is? Well, can you know what kindness is? When someone does something for your benefit and they give it to you or they do it for you, you go, oh, how kind. It's when someone is altering or they are moving their lives for your benefit. And he's saying that God has been kind to you. When you look at the expanse of your life, if God is truly God and he gives us everything we have, then breath in and of itself is a stewardship. And he's given us all things. And he's given us that. But maybe he's also given us the homes and the life that we live. He's given all these things as a mark of kindness. But he not only says kindness, he says forbearance. And forbearance is when you withhold judgment or wrath. So it's as if God has his hand out in kindness, but he's withholding the wrath he could have. The judgment he could have. The things you didn't fall into. The traps that you didn't run into. The mistakes you didn't get caught up in. The things you didn't get caught for. He's saying it's it's in one hand, God is saying, look, I've been kind to you to give you breath and life and love and relationship. I've been so kind for you, but don't think that I'm not withholding what could be. And he not only says kindness, but he says forbearance. And then he says patience. So it means that God has his hand out like I'm giving you this life and I'm withholding death, but I'm being patient with you. I'm having long suffering 
And look what he says in light of this mercy he's saying. He's saying, I want you to know all the riches of his kindness, all the forbearance and all the patience. It was meant for one thing, repentance. God's been kind so that you would turn to him. He's given you breath and life so that you would relate to him and know him and love him. And we often think God's kindness is a mark of favor. So it's like, man, God gave me that job. Thank you, God. Thank you. That was from the Lord. Thank you, God. And you get a good, clean bill of health. Mm, Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that clean bill of health. Thank you, God. Oh, and that job. Thank you, God. That was so wonderful. And that relationship, thank you. And all, and you mark those sometimes when you see God doing things, you think that's favor. That's actually kindness. And you cannot experience the favor of God without repentance. Because you must turn to him and relate to him and know him intimately in order to experience the favor of God. You think kindness is great. Try favor. When you start experiencing intimacy with God and knowing God, there are more things that God has in store for you. But he has shown you life and mercy and kindness because he does not want thank you. He wants you. He doesn't want you just to remember him. He wants you. He wants more than your tithe, more than your Bible study, and more than your attendance. He wants you. And he wants your heart. All the kindness he's shown you is for you. It's for you to know him and be intimate with him. And he will not be satisfied until you are intimate with him. Paul says, do you see the mercies he's shown you? Now, In light of this incredible mercy of God, he says, in light of that, I appeal to you by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. He's saying, in light of what God has done, this is when we can see authentic worship. The picture here that Paul explains is a picture of sacrifice. Now we know in the Old Testament, they would take an animal, something very valuable like a bull or a goat, and they would sacrifice it and that would be a valuable commodity. But what would actually be happening in the Levitical priesthood is that they would be taking that and that would be a mark of someone saying, a life for my sin, because you require blood. That's how serious you are about sin. And you would be offering that life up to the Lord. But here he does not talk about a sacrifice like we would see in the Old Testament. He says a living sacrifice in order to honor God. And what he is talking about is not an animal, not a bull or a goat. He's talking about us, our lives sacrificed unto the Lord giving back to him. So it harkens back to the fact, the reason why we don't use bulls or goats or any kind of animal is because Jesus was our perfect sacrifice. 
And when Christ died for our sin, and we see that as the highest mark of mercy that could ever happen, it is our natural response to give our devotion. When you see the mercy of God and the sacrifice of Jesus, it is our natural response to give our lives because he gave his life. And so he says, it's, it's just reasonable that we would give ourselves because he gave everything for us. And this is kind of a dividing line because there are many people who give sacrifices unto the Lord, but they won't give themselves. They will give their time. They will give their talent. They will give their treasure, but they won't give their heart. There is this incredible picture of sacrifice in the Bible. It's the story of Abraham. If you know the story, the Bible talks about how in scripture he was called to sacrifice his one and only son. And this was a son that he wasn't even able to have till he was old, late in life. And he was given promises about what his life was going to be like. And yet God says, sacrifice your only son. So Abraham bounds up his son And he gets ready to sacrifice him. And God says, now I know. Now I know that you are willing to give everything. This son was a living sacrifice. You were willing to bound up that which is most valuable to you. The thing that you possess, that you care about the most. Laying that down before the Lord. But there's another story in the Bible that shows the very opposite. It's the story of the rich young ruler. And this story is a young man who comes to Jesus and says, hey, I've been very religious. I've done everything right. I've, I've you know, I've, I've, I've gone to church my whole life. I, I pray all the time. And Jesus says, give me one thing. Sell all your possessions and follow me. And it says the young man walked away because he was wealthy in possessions. One man wrapped up his possessions and laid them before the Lord. Another man was wrapped up in his possessions and he walked away from the Lord. And I just want to warn you, he offers a better life than a better life. He offers a transformed life, but he wants all of you, your possessions and your heart and to lay them down before the Lord. New is greater than better. But it comes at the expense of you. Giving you your life to him. You know, I heard years ago when I, when I first heard this verse, someone was explaining to me about a living sacrifice and they gave this imagery of how we are to give our lives to God. And they also talked about how how we have a tendency to kind of barter with God. You see, the truth is, is that we think, man, I'm working hard in life. And I want God to kind of help me out. You know what I'm saying? Because I do a lot. I, I, I sacrifice for a living. So God, hook me up. So what we want to do is we want to create a contract with God because we sacrifice so much for a living. So here's what we do. is like, God, I'll give you my life, but here's some terms and conditions. Amen. I need, first thing I need, and I mean, this is not too much for you because you're God. I'd like, I'd like a spouse, okay, 
There's certain requirements I have of them, okay? And I just want you to know that we'll talk about those details later, but just know that's a major category for me. Second thing, I'd like a house, doesn't have to be too big, okay? Just big enough for a family. And that leads to my third point. I'd like cute and obedient kids. Can we do that? And again, I don't know about the cute part, but definitely obedient. If they can't be obedient, at least be cute. You know what I'm saying? Like... We got to work this out. And so here's what we'll do. You sign, and you can do it in blood because I know that's kind of your thing. You can sign, you sign, you sign, and then I'll sign after you. You know what I mean? You sign it. You just, because I need these things to know because I'm not going to, I'm not just going to follow you. You got to sacrifice for a living. So I need your help. And the contract with God is not you sacrificing for a living, but you being a living sacrifice. And the real contract with God, you get it and you go, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. Here we go. Here we go. Let me see how this works. Because, you know, this is kind of everything. You know, you want my heart. You know what I'm saying? So let me see how this works. Okay. This page is blank. And the Lord says, I know. Sign it. You, you want me to sign this and I don't know what's going to happen next. I know. So, so you're telling me, you're not guaranteeing me certain things. Oh, no, no, I'm guaranteeing you something. Me. Sign. And we would never sign a contract like that on human terms. But God says, sign at the bottom. And I'll fill in the pages as life goes on. Follow me. And we offer our lives to him. And so when you offer your life to Jesus, when you give him your full self, not just your time and talent and treasure, what he promises to happen in Romans 12, 1 and 2, he goes on to say in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, by the testing that you, by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. He says, over time, you will be transformed if you give your life. And you will renew your mind. And the, the word conform there, it basically means to be, to be fit into the world's mold. In other words, it, it, the word conform there, it speaks to an outward expression that doesn't reflect the inward reality. It's like someone wearing a mask, someone masquerading as something else, someone trying to fit in even though they feel differently on the inside. And what it says essentially is when you give your life to Christ, we must move ourselves away from the world. Not in terms of presence, but in terms of influence. That we don't fit into the world's mold. And some of us understand how easy it is to be in this city and follow the pattern of the world. That we're working and we want to be able to fit in. We don't want to be the person that's like a Jesus freak and be weird. And so sometimes we put on a mask and we almost move ourselves away from Jesus 
so we can be in relationship with people. And he says, don't put on the mask of the world. Rather, be transformed. And this imagery of transformation, it's the word where we get metamorphosis from. Be transformed. It harkens back to the resurrection. That when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, people saw this resurrected body. And they see him walking around in new life. And they're sitting there literally thinking, this man was nailed to a cross. And now he's walking around. Behold, he's new. And part of the resurrection story isn't just the day of the resurrection. It's the 40 days after where Jesus was walking around just resurrected. (laughs) There goes resurrected Jesus. Because that would be deep if he was like, he got resurrected and dipped right after the resurrection. But he hung around for like a month. Isn't that crazy? Is that Jesus? Yeah, but I thought he, that's the point. (laughs) Jesus meant for his life to be on display after the resurrection. Something that um, I don't have a lot of time to get into, but what he says in uh, Paul, the apostle says in 1 Corinthians, I just want to read this. 1 Corinthians 15, he says, For I delivered to you as first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, verse 5, and then he appeared to Cephas. That's Peter, and he names him Cephas because there were people, that's his hood name. Okay, that's where he grew up. Anyway, Cephas, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. That means not 500 individual encounters. That means there were 500 people in one place. And he showed up intentionally. Jesus was intentionally putting a transformed life on display. And I want you to hear what else he said. He says, he appeared more than 500 brothers at one time. Look what he says. Most of whom are still alive. What he was trying to say was, Not only did he appear to people I'm naming, he appeared to people that are still living as this document was written. So you have to understand the depth of that. First Corinthians was written 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. So people are like, well, this text is so ancient. How could people remember that far back? It was 20 years. Y'all act like you can't remember. How? Tell me of your singers of your day 20 years ago in 2002. (laughs) Who is this Ashanti? I've never heard of her. Oh. Oh, tell me more about this Nelly. (laughs) Y'all know who Ja Rule is. (laughs) September 11th. I mean, y'all act like y'all can't remember 20 years ago. This was 20 years ago. And he's like, they're still alive. And they still remember. Ask about him. This is a horrible way of lying. Ask about him. They remember seeing him. Jesus, therefore, not only wanted to resurrect to show that he was dying for sin, he wanted to put his new resurrected life on display in church 
If you're a Christian today and you have not been on display, you are missing out on the purpose of your life. Because the way that this faith has gone around the globe is that the resurrection of Jesus keeps popping up in the heart of people. All over the globe. China, Guatemala, Indonesia, all across the globe. This transformation also, it it speaks to the word metamorphosis, as I mentioned before. And that's actually a picture of the, the butterfly. Because that's exactly what happens to a butterfly. It is at one point a caterpillar. And then one day out of the blue, the caterpillar builds this cocoon around himself. These enzymes cause the caterpillar to become somewhat like a soup. And then these cells restructure themselves. And then all of a sudden, this little fat little worm starts getting wings and antenna, eyes. Brother didn't have eyes. You're like, he got wings. He didn't have eyes. And there is no formal flight training. There's not sight training. He just wakes up one day and he is new. And that's something similar that happens to the believer. We're not learning new behavior. We're not better. So if you came today and you're like, man, I want to be a better person. I'm sorry. Jesus will not make you a better person. He will make you a new person. When he says in chapter 12, verse 2, the way you transform is the renewing of your mind. What happens is the story of the gospel is not just the entry point of relationship with God. It's the thing you put on repeat. His forbearance, his kindness, his patience, you put it on repeat. And you sing about it. And you cannot believe he's given you another day. That's what transforms you and you dig into your relationship with God through his word and through his people. The power of his spirit transforms you over a time. And some of you can testify. You are not the person you are or were. Not just because you've had religious affections. But because the spirit of God started transforming and changing you and changing your desires. The change of desires is the miracle. But if you do not have the spirit of God changing your desires, then what will happen is you will opt for mechanical change. And this mechanical change is when we try to attach new behaviors on us without the power of transformation. So we attach church attendance and we attach reading the scriptures and we attach Prayer. Can you imagine a caterpillar that attached wings to itself? You'd be looking at that caterpillar like, I know what you're trying to do. (laughs) And I get it. Because you see them all flying. And you know that could be you. 
but this ain't it. You got you gotta kind of die. Yeah, yeah, you just can't like keep going. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And people want to just attach new religious exercises without transformation. And in that you look like a caterpillar with wings. But organic change takes time. And it takes you looking into you and God looking at you and this thing called conviction. Hallelujah. And you start going like, oh, I can't say that no more, can I? Ooh. And then you say it again. <laughs> anyway, so you. <laughs> and it's just like this slow process of changing. And oh, my gosh. And over time, people will be like, you starting to look like a butterfly. And you be like, for real? You be like, mm-hmm. You be like, I feel like a worm. <laughs> feel like a worm. But you start changing and transforming because you stay at the feet of Jesus, not in the seat of a church. You cannot just attach. And so this is, this is what Paul the apostle will say. In 2 Corinthians 5, he says, therefore, if anyone is in, new, in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Do you ever think about how crazy that is? The metamorphosis of this worm? Because here's the wow part. He doesn't know, she doesn't know what it's going to be like. One day, this cat just falls asleep. Ends up in a cocoon. They think they sleep. And they wake up. And now they have wings. And now they have eyes. And I can imagine for a caterpillar who becomes a butterfly that everything is like, oh, snap. What is, oh, shoot. Oh, shoot. <laughs> and they're blown away. And I have to imagine that the first few years of being a butterfly, they look down on the ground and they go, I remember what it was like down there. And then when they get around their old caterpillar friends, they're like, how'd you change? I don't even, I don't even know. I was changed. Transformation happened to me. And today, think of faith as flight. That the mark of trusting in Jesus is your faith. And it is much like that butterfly that begins to fly. That you must trust him. That you trust him with your life, your possessions. That you get that contract and you say, God, I will go wherever you want me to go. I will do what it begins with that contract. I will go wherever you want, Jesus. I will be who you want me to be. I'm tired of trying to be someone. I'm tired of trying to fit myself in the world's mode. I want you to transform me.
And I can say that it was February 23rd, 1998, where I was tired of trying to be this impressive football player in college. Bouncing in a club, trying to be cool. And one day I got on my knees and I surrendered. And I said, I give you it. I tried. I tried him. He transformed me. If you try him, he'll transform you. I wonder if you'd stand with me. I don't want to labor us in terminology, but I just want to simply say today, if you've had church attendance before, even if you've considered yourself a Christian, but you've not experienced that flight and that transformation, I want to invite you to try Jesus today. And I want to meet, I want you to meet me here right at the edge of the stage over here in the corner. I want you to try Jesus today. To try him. Let him transform you. Try him. Is there one today? Just come. Just come here to the edge of the stage. This is not meant to scare you. This is meant to be an offering and an invitation to you. To try Jesus. Just come. I see you. Come on down. Right here at the edge of the stage. Just come. Is there anyone else who just says, listen, I've been trying, but now you want to try Jesus. Just come. Just come. Today is the day of salvation. I pray that you would not wait. And I pray that he would stir your heart for transformation and change. Dear sister, we thank you in the mighty name of Jesus. Well, Father, we pray right now for my sister. I pray, Father, that no matter how much she's been trying, we pray that surrender would be the new story of her life. We pray that there would be a new narrative that she's living under. And I pray, God, that the spirit of the living God would rush in, change her, and make her more like you. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.